Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today I want to begin a new series of four talks on the topic of body in body, internally and externally. Some of you may recognize that as coming from the Satipatthana Sutta. Satipatthana is a practice of contemplating Dhamma through various targeted exercise, 21 in the Satipatthana Sutta, whereby individual Dhammic teachings are verified in experience, familiarized and internalized such that Dhamma becomes ultimately a matter of direct perception or even non-conceptual responsiveness leading to the attainment of knowledge and vision of things as they are, effectively allowing the practitioner to see through the eyes of the Buddha. The exercises are categorized under the four satipatthanas, contemplation of body, of feelings, of mind, and of dhammas. The dhammas of the fourth satipatthana are specific dhammic teachings and their experiential correlates, the aggregates, sense fears, awakening factors, hindrances, and noble truths. And each of the Dhamma exercises is specifically concerned with that teaching. For instance, again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the five aggregates of appropriation, and how does bhikkhu abide contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of five aggregates of appropriation? Here a bhikkhu understands such as form, such its origin, such its disappearance, such as interest, such its origin, such its disappearance, such as perception, such its origin, such its disappearance, such are the formations such their origin, such their disappearance, such is cognizance, such its origin, such its disappearance. Not so for the body, feelings, and mind exercises. For instance, again, bhikkhus, when walking, a bhikkhu understands, I am walking. When standing, he understands, I am standing. When sitting, he understands, I am sitting. When lying down, he understands, I am lying down, or he understands accordingly, however his body is disposed. Question, where is the Dhamma in the contemplation of the body exercises, for instance, in postures or breath? Answer, in the refrain that follows each exercise. It's rich in Dhamma. The refrain thereby represents, relentlessly, the primary method of Dhammic analysis of the sutta, common in all of the exercises. For these, the Dhammas, subjected to contemplation, 
are found in the common refrain that follows each of the exercises. 1. In this way he abides contemplating body and body internally, or he abides contemplating body and body externally, or he abides contemplating body and body both internally and externally. 2. He abides contemplating the body in the nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in the body the nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in body the nature of both arising and vanishing. 3. Recollection that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency. 4. He abides independent. He doesn't cling to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating body and body. This is the form the refrain takes for body. Those for feelings and mind are analogous. That for dhammas makes specific reference to the dhamma toward which the preceding exercise is directed. For instance, And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating dhammas in dhammas in terms of the seven factors of awakening. The refrain is based on the foundational teachings of the three characteristics, tilakkana, of non-self, anatta, impermanence, anicca, and suffering, dukkha. Accordingly, virtually the sole function of the first three satipatthanas is the analysis of observable aspects of body, feelings, and mind in terms of these specific teachings. For this reason, I will call the analysis directed by the refrain primary analysis, the main task of most of the exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta. This present series of talks seeks to explain primary analysis. In brief, the first step encourages insight into non-self through alternating internal and external, in other words, epistemic and ontological, analysis. The second step introduces impermanence as the basis for internal analysis. The third step is a reference to the emptiness, though conventional usefulness, of self. The fourth step describes the consequence of successful practice in terms of overcoming the conditions for suffering. Internal and external analysis and both. In the Buddha's teaching, self is a presumption, manita, a cognitive fabrication, sankara, that we conceive and then take as real. The Buddha had a low regard for presumption. Presumption is a disease, presumption is a tumor, presumption is a dart. By overcoming all presumptions, bhikkhu, one is called a sage at peace. And the sage at peace is not born, does not age, does not die, is not shaken and does not yearn, for there is nothing present in him by which he might be born." We'll see how primary analysis serves to overcome the presumption of the self. 
so that we may abide independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Let's consider two perspectives we can take toward the self or toward any potential presumption. The more common is external. It is to run with the presumption to believe in it, to make it into an ontological commitment of truth. The other is internal. It is to question it, to get to the bottom of it, to make it into a topic of epistemological investigation. Presumption separates the perspectives. Internal is pre-presumption. It asks, how would I know? External is post-presumption. It launches a story about what it is convinced it knows. Suppose we see a UFO. Sure enough, we see lights moving in the sky in a bizarre pattern, just like UFOs in the movies. And then we reflect on what we've seen. The UFO must be of extraterrestrial origin because the technology to produce what I have observed is unknown on Earth. But from what planet did it come? How did it get here? What are the intentions of these extraterrestrials? I saw it, but did it see me? Do I need to hide so that I don't get, gulp, probed? Is there a way I can cash in on my discovery? This is the more credulous and presumptive external analysis in which we presume that there really is a UFO and then speculate and tell tales about it. This is external analysis. Alternatively, I might reflect as follows. Am I hallucinating? Did I have too much to drink? Did I not get enough sleep? Or maybe I'm dreaming. Is a twiddlebug larva creeping across my glasses? Can weather or optical effects explain what I'm seeing? This is the more cautious and skeptical analysis in which we reevaluate the evidence on which the potential presumption of the existence of the UFO would be based. I take seriously the possibility that whatever potential evidence I directly observed is not manifest of a real UFO. This is internal analysis. Each of the body feelings and mind exercises considers a separate facet of evidence that potentially supports the presumption of the existence of the self and thereby serves as a basis for internal analysis. Each individual exercise is a futile attempt to find the self in experience, and together the many exercises substantially run through the conceivable ways in which we might potentially verify the existence of a self. Yet each fails. In each of the first three satipatthanas, we attempt to verify the existence of the self in one of its aspects, respectively as body, as feelings, and as mind. Body and mind are clear potential facets of what we would expect the self to be, even for modern people. However, for feelings, this is not immediately evident. 
Nonetheless, a particular sutta directly addresses feelings as a facet of self that must have made sense to early Buddhists. In what ways, Ananda, do people regard the self? They equate the self with feelings. Feelings are myself, or feelings are not myself, myself is impercipient. Or feelings are not myself, but myself is not impercipient, it is of the nature to feel. Notice this gives the same three facets of the self. In the first, the self is simply equivalent to feelings. The second is that the self is apparently equivalent to body, that facet which cannot perceive. The third is that the self is equivalent to mind, that facet which can perceive and of which feelings are a manifestation. This gives us the first three satipatthanas, body, feelings, and mind, with body and mind identified in terms of their relationship to feeling. Internal analysis. Internal analysis is referred to in the refrain as follows again with regard to body. In this way he abides contemplating in body and body internally. The expression body and body is noteworthy here and elsewhere since it evidently reflects the internal and external perspectives. In other words, one body refers to a set of internal evidence that potentially validates the substantial existence of the body. And the other body refers to the external body whose existence must be and generally is, presumed. Feelings are often described by modern teachers in a manner that marginalizes what is clearly a central role in the early texts. I argued two or three weeks ago in this podcast that our world, loka, of experience is itself a manifestation of feelings, and it is in this role, as world of experience, that it is easily regarded as a facet of self. I'll also come back to this in a week or two. Each of the body, feelings, and mind exercises describes the respective process of internal analysis. It does this in considering a particular set of internal evidence which might provide the basis for presuming the substantial existence of the external self. Each might be thought of as a kind of thought experiment, but each fails to validate the external self. In the practice of analyzing the body or self internally, we center ourselves in and develop a kind of intimacy with every detail of the evidence described in the respective exercise, the components, movements, postures, stages of decay, and so on. Generally, this is performed within the stillness of samadhi. For instance, the first exercise instructs us, Breathing in long, he understands, I breathe in long. Or, breathing out long, he understands, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands, I breathe in short. Or, breathing out short, he understands, I breathe out short. 
At this stage, we consider the evidence on its own merits as body and body without regard to the whole body, which is perhaps substantial and manifests itself as this evidence, or which is perhaps only a cognitive fabrication that arises conditioned by such evidence. Attending to this equivalence is largely a process of simple perception or noting, requiring little or, with growing familiarity, no deliberation. Impermanence. Impermanence is a primary aspect of internal, but not external, analysis, for it is only here that it can be directly observed. And it is the most critical kind of internal evidence. Or else he abides contemplating in the body its nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of both arising and vanishing. Breaths, for instance, come and go. Bodily actions, postures, stages of decomposition are likewise impermanent. They arise and vanish. Some visualized factors in internal analysis, such as some body parts, might be less obviously impermanent. But it's easy to visualize or even remember. Consider dental work, for instance, or cutting and clipping hair and nails. Their removal or replacement, or simply visualize them in turn as consisting of ever-changing parts. The whole body, on the other hand, the subject of external analysis, is largely immune from analysis in terms of impermanence, since it comes already with a presumption of unobservable, substantial, and fixed existence. We'll stop here for today and continue this discussion next week with external analysis. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.